Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my youth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, how do we know what we know about God? How do we know what God is like? How do we know how it is that we should respond to God? I think a lot of people today would tell you that we know what we know about God kind of just by intuition, by what I feel God ought to be like. Um, I regularly hear this from people. They'll say things like, I think that God would be, or the God I believe in would never, or the God I believe in is like this. And it seems to be that God is really a reflection of what they would like God to be the idea of God that they would come up with in their own mind. And people seem to feel they have the option to decide what God is like for themselves and how they would expect that God would want them to respond to him. But is that it? Is it really just my intuition? Is it just guesswork? Can I have any certainty about what God is like or certainty about how it is that I should respond to God? I suppose the fact that you're sitting here this morning means that you know that it's not just guesswork, that it is possible for us to know what God is like and to know how it is that we should respond to him. And that's what we're looking at in Psalm number 19, because that's really the questions that this writer is answering. He's, He's answering that question, how do we know what we know about God and how do we know how it is that we should respond to God? And it's all answered quite beautifully in this Psalm 19. The Psalm opens saying that there are some very obvious things that you can know about God. Uh, You don't even really need to do any investigation. You just got to open your eyes and you'll be able to see them. See the opening four verses of the Psalm. The heavens 
declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. The heavens speak about the glory of God. The very existence of the sun and the moon and the stars, well, it's testimony to what God is like. The creation says something about God. Did you notice all of the speech language in those verses? Have a look at it. I've highlighted it. I've put it up there on the screen for you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out to all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Creation testifies to God. Creation testifies to his handiwork. Some great expressions in those verses, aren't there? Creation pours forth speech. It literally says that it's just gushing with information about God. And I love the way that he says, you don't need a translator for this. You don't need a translator to understand what creation is saying. This is a universal... In fact, this transcends language. There's this universal declaration of the glory of God. I think that's probably what the Apostle Paul has in mind when he says this in Romans. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. No excuses for not hearing what the creation is saying. The writer pauses there in verse 4, halfway through that verse and also into verses 5 and 6 to give a special focus on the sun. Now at first glance to our 20th century eye or 21st century eyes, that might, may not seem terribly significant, but to the culture of his day, this would have been a very important statement. At the time that this psalm was written, the sun was seen in many religions of the world at that time as being a god, a deity, something to be worshipped. Now the writer has personified creation, he's given creation human characteristics saying that it can talk, that it can sing, that it can declare things about God, but the creation isn't to be worshipped and nor is the sun to be worshipped. In fact, that's the whole point of dwelling here on what he says about the sun. The sun is not to be worshipped, God is the one who has put the sun in place, God's the one who's pitched a tent for the sun to live in. God is the one who set the sun on its course. Don't glorify the sun. Glorify the God who put the sun in the sky, is what the writer is saying. Now the creation can give us some idea of what God is like, but there are clearly going to be limitations on what creation is going to be able to show us about God. See, creation doesn't reveal anything really about God's moral character. It doesn't tell us anything about God's characteristics like justice or mercy or love or compassion or grace. 
Oh yes, there's no doubt creation declares God's glory, but it doesn't really tell us anything more than the fact that God is glorious. Creation is emphatic that God is amazing and powerful, but it doesn't actually tell us what God is like. And if we want to know God, if we want to know how it is that we should respond to God, well, frankly, we're going to need more information. Just looking at the creation won't be enough for us to know how to do that. Now, from verse 7 onwards, you might notice that the tone of the psalm kind of changes a little bit. Some people have suggested that this was two psalms that were just joined together and made into one psalm because there does seem to be a little bit of a disconnect between the first six verses and from verse 7 onwards. Uh, One minute we're talking about how marvellous creation is, how it sings God's praises, and then the next minute we're talking about the law. But you've got to make sure that you see the bigger message that the writer of this psalm has. said last week when we looked at psalm number 8 that you see the word Lord in uh, from verse 7 onwards, and it's that L and capital O-R-D. That's the Yahweh word, the personal name for God. In the first six verses of the psalm, the word God is only mentioned once. Right there at the very beginning, and the word that's there, the translate, that's translated as God, is kind of the no-brand name for God that's used throughout the pages of the Old Testament. It's just this general word for God that could be used to describe pretty much any God. But then starting in verse 7, the writer wants to talk about Yahweh, the God that we can know personally, the God who has revealed himself, the God who has made himself known. Now, some people would want to point to the difference there between just using that generic name for God in the first six verses and then the Yahweh word in the last verses. They'd say that that's proof that it's two Psalms that have been stuck together. But again, I think that's missing the point. I think what the writer's wanting to say is, sure, we can know that there's an amazing God who stands behind creation, but that's it. That's all that creation can tell you. Yes, creation can speak of God's glory, but if you want to know what God's like, if you want to know how to respond to God, then you're going to need God to reveal himself. And that's where that Yahweh word comes in. This is the God who's made himself known. So starting in verse 7, we see that God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself in his word. He's spoken He's made himself known clearly. He hasn't left us guessing what he's like or how it is that we're supposed to respond to him. Now, I hope this doesn't sound like a grammar lesson because I think most people in the room would probably be agree that I was the last person in the world who should be giving grammar lessons. You've only got to read the back of the notice sheet to know that. But I just wanted to show you what this psalm actually does. Starting in verse 7... There are six statements that are given to us. And in each of the statements, there is a noun, there is an adjective, and there is a verb. Um, The noun is the... Well, you know what nouns are. The adjective describes the noun, and then the verbs tell us what action is going to follow. So what we have is, the law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? What's the action that follows on from that? Well, it revives the soul. And then we see that the statutes of the law are trustworthy and they make the simple wise. The precepts of the Lord 
are right and give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant and give light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure and endures forever. And the ordinances of the law are sure and altogether righteous. Law, statutes, precepts, commands, ordinances. Now, you've got to make sure you don't misunderstand what's being said here. That might just sound like it's a whole bunch of rules that are being quoted, but they're all of the words that would have been used in the pages of the Old Testament to describe God's word generally. Uh, so when it talks about law, when Jesus says the law in the New Testament, he's talking about the whole Old Testament, all the narrative stuff as well. He's not just talking about the rules or the decrees that need to be obeyed. He's talking about the whole Old Testament, what God has revealed of himself in his word. Uh, that word law gets translated as testimony in some places. It's not simply just the list of rules. So what the writer is saying is, that God reveals himself in his word. These six statements talk about the fact that God has shown something of of himself, shown us what he is like. But not only that, he's shown us what our response ought to be to his word. That's why when the writer gets to the end, he says that all this stuff is more valuable than gold. And not just more valuable than gold, it's actually sweeter than honey. And then comes the next change in tone. You get to verse number 12, and it seems to head off on a different track again. Look at what verse 12 says. After all of these statements about God's law, then it says, who can discern his errors, that is, his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless Innocent of great transgressions. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Some of the members of our household uh, seem to spend a serious amount of time in front of the mirror, particularly in the morning, especially when they're just about to go out. Others, it has been suggested, could do to spend a little bit more time in front of the mirror. See, mirrors are good things, aren't they? They show you what you like, and if you don't look right, then you can fix it. If your hair is standing up, then you can put it to where it needs to be. If you've got a little bit of toothpaste on your chin, you can wipe it off. If you missed a bit when you were shaving, then you can get the razor blade out and have another go. Well, the Bible says that God's word acts like a mirror, and that's what the writer of this psalm is wanting to say as well. See, look at those closing verses, especially what he says there in verse 14. Do you see what the writer is saying in the context? He's saying, from here on, God, help me to live the way that's pleasing in your sight. Help me to think the right things. Help me to say the right things. When I see what you're like, When I see how you have revealed yourself, I see that there's things in me that need to change. I mean, that's the progression in this psalm, isn't it? Creation screams out about God's glory, but God doesn't leave us guessing beyond being a glorious God. He actually shows us what he's like in his word. And when I see what God is like, 
I actually see what I'm like and I see how I might need to change. And it's not that change is a terrible thing. It's not that change is forcing me to do something that I don't want to do or change is forcing me to be someone that I don't want to be. See, if God's word is perfect and has the ability to revive my soul, if God's word is trustworthy and it can actually make me wise in the way that I live this life, if God's word is right and can give me joy in my heart, if God's word is radiant and gives me light to my eyes, well, surely that's change that I'd want to make, isn't it? Surely that would be change that I would want God's word to bring about in my life. So how should we respond to Psalm number 19? Well, let me give you two things. First is this. We should continually thank God that he has revealed himself to us. I mean, it's a terrible thing, isn't it, to see people who are trying to guess what God is like or trying to be guided by intuition because ultimately they'll never have any certainty. They can't be sure of what God is like if they're just guided by their own instincts and intuition. But we should thank God that he has revealed himself to us. We've sung that in the hymns that we've sung this morning, that God is a God who has spoken and told us what he is like. And because of that, we can know how we ought to respond. We know about God's great grace to us in Jesus. We know about... God's place for us in this world. We know about God's purpose for us in our lives. We know about God's grace and God's mercy and God's love and God's compassion and God's justice. But in the end, it's not simply a matter of being thankful that God has revealed himself. We need to make sure that we keep listening to God. So you've got a black book sitting right beside you there that says that it's God's word on the front. And I'm pretty sure you've got a few copies of it lying around at your house as well. We need to make sure that we're people who keep listening to what God's word says. Keep letting it shape our lives. The risk of stating the glaringly obvious. I mean, that's why we have sermons in church on Sunday. So that we can read what God's word says and then think about what God's word says. Reflect on it and hopefully go home and maybe even read it again. That's why we place such a high priority on Bible studies in the life of our church as well. It's a great place to get your questions answered, to understand better what it is that the Bible actually says, what God has revealed of himself. That's the way that people can encourage each other. And that's why we also encourage people to try and read through the Bible passage before they come to church on Sunday. Have a read through it, think about what it says, and I guarantee that you'll get more out of Sunday's sermons. See, if God's word is perfect and can revive my soul, if God's word is trustworthy and can make wise the simple, if God's word is right and can give joy, if God's word is radiant and can give light to my eyes, well, surely I'd want to read it and study it, and hear it read and preached in church on Sunday. 